Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the bindings. Hello, I am Max Lopez. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bindings. Today we'll wrap up our the first five books in the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett. And today we are going to cover book five titled Sorcery. It was published in 1988. It was preceded by... Uh, Mort, which I covered in the last episode, and is followed by Weird Sisters. That's W-Y-R-D. I've never read that one. As you know, I've clearly covered Mort before, so I've certainly read it. I've read that twice. I've read Sorcery twice now. And everything moving forward will be completely fresh for me as far as Discworld. Now, I've spent the last five episodes covering Discworld, so this will be the last one for a little while, just for a couple of we have probably about a month. I will, I'll get back to it in September. I'm going to keep reading the books because now with it being a multiple parts episode, which it hasn't come out yet, although I've recorded all the episodes, they're actually going to start coming out next week, just mainly because I have three planned as of right now. Brian's going to come and join me for the final episode. That one isn't record, recorded yet, but Parts one and two are recorded, and then part three, potentially part four, if it ends up being too long. And then after that, I have another book plan that I'm currently reading, and then I'll probably be back to Discworld at that point. So I'd say about uh, about four episode break in between. Oh, now that I think about it, maybe five. I don't know. I, I'm going to get a little mixed up as far as my actual reading order and what I'm putting out in episodes. And that really doesn't matter at all. So I'm just going to keep going the way I'm going. I thought it'd be cool to have all five Discworlds in a row instead of doing the first four and then randomly having book five. And I plan on kind of doing it in these chunks or releasing them in these chunks because I think it's kind of a fun way to release them instead of doing like, you know, say that you are really only interested in me talking about Discworld. I, I don't know why that would necessarily be but maybe it is maybe i maybe you enjoy hearing me speak about these books who knows i don't know i enjoy talking about them that's for sure that's why i'm going to cover as many as i can that's for sure um and five in a row is a pretty good accomplishment i i it didn't take that long i want to say i bet all five of these books together is still are still shorter than it for sure uh, i like i wouldn't doubt that at all um, they fall over 200 pages, but it just, it's, there's, there's a lot more per page. It's, I don't know. These books are very easy to read. And, uh, I think that has to do with just the way Pratchett writes as well as the way the books are printed too. There's, there's, it's not like one of those books where they just squeeze a, so many words on a page, which it does have that. Uh, although I read it on my Kindle, but regardless of any of that first five episodes are here for you now. We'll take a break, we'll go into it, we'll go into some other stuff, and then we'll get back to 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, which I haven't read, so it's going to be super fresh, and I'm very excited. Now, you know I loved the I loved book 3, Equal Rights, and I loved book 4, and I, I, love, I've, I love all five of the, these Discworld books I, uh, that I've read so far. 3 and 4, 
equal rights and more they hold a special little place in my heart i really really love them they're super uh, they're just incredible stories sorcery's good it's not my favorite one i think i i think it might be my least favorite of the ones i've read so far so far with that said, it's super entertaining. There is still some underlying major themes that, or theme themes, depending on how you look at it, that Pratchett hits at, again, whether they're intentional or unintentional. He does an incredible job pressing them throughout the entire story. And and I really like this, this book just in general. Again, is it my favorite? No. It, I mean, it doesn't, I, it doesn't even come, come close to Equal Rights and Mort. Is it still fun? Absolutely. Would I read it again? Yeah, I probably still will read it again. It's a fun read. And uh, a lot happens in it. And a lot kind of happens in these quirky ways in all of the Discworld books. So you kind of got to you kind of got to keep up with it or even though there's such quick reads that you can kind of oh have to go back a little bit sometimes just because some quirky things happen and you just kind of have to wrap your brain around like Wait, what exactly happened in all of that? The magic all disappeared from this library. How did that happen? Oh yeah, the librarian's an orangutan. Okay, let's move on. So, again, this book is called Sorcery. And it's very interesting because it begins with Death, who, as you know, is one of my favorite characters in this Discworld universe. And he comes to collect the soul of this wizard, but a banished wizard, named Ipslor the Red. And Ipslor was actually banished from the Unseen University several years before because of his issues with wizardry, with his issues with um, what seemed like basically how the operation of the Unseen University works. And he almost kind of disagreed with their particular use of magic, so he's actively is he's banished but he seems like he kind of wants to be banished in the way that he doesn't agree with the 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 route a wizard has to take in the first place now we've covered this before but in disc in the Discworld books the number eight is kind of like um you know this magical number and a lot of things revolve around the number eight where in like our world a lot of the times people say that's the number seven well, in Discworld, it's eight. To be a wizard, you need to be... The only person who's able to manipulate magic, like in the same way a wizard does, is the eighth son of an eighth son. So Ipslor is the eighth son of an eighth son, hence why he is a wizard. Yet, he leaves the Unseen University, denies his actual education in wizardry, and continues to have children. Now, each children is incredibly powerful in their own right, but Ipslor ends up having his own eighth son. You learn in the very, very, very beginning of sorcery that the eighth son of an eighth son is a sorcerer, a.k.a. a source of magic. So instead of being able to manipulate magic on the disc, it is able, this person, the sorcerer, is able to create magic themselves. So, he has, Ipslor has this a son, his name is Coin, and he becomes a sorcerer. Now, death is still coming to collect Ipslor's soul. So, right in this whole moment, he, he finagles this way because, again, he is still very, very powerful with the magic that resides on the disc. And he ends up lodging his soul into this staff. 
and like a wizard staff, like you can imagine uh, Gandalf having. They don't have them in Harry Potter because they have wands instead. But he basically binds his soul with this staff. And that is for Coin. Now, when this all happens to Coin, Coin is like very, very small. I think he's still just a baby, basically. I, I don't remember exactly if he's a baby or a toddler. I think he might be a toddler, like two or three, because eight years later, Coin returns to, doesn't return, he goes to Eggmark Pork, the city, the you know, the major city here in Discworld, and goes to the unseen university himself and I, I i either they mentioned it or for some reason i lodged it in my brain that he's like 11 years old and this all happened eight years later so i suppose that all happened when he was three so he arrives at the unseen university and he is basically ready to take over all of the disc he has these plans of power that wizards should basically rule all of everything because why wouldn't they? They're the most powerful things in the world. He believes they're more powerful than the disc gods. And he basically says that he's had enough of how stupid the wizarding world has ran for a very, very, very long time. You know that the staff is kind of leading him in a direction that his father, who is whose soul again is bound to the staff, is basically calling many of the shots and speaking to him, and he does throughout the entire story, which is kind of cool because, um, unfortunately, I think this is almost one of the what maybe one of the only critiques I have for this particular book is that I just didn't think that I got to know Coin very well, and there's going to be a reason for that in just a few seconds when I mention it. But let me get back to this. So he arrives at the Unseen University. He kills the soon-to-be Arch-Chancellor. So the Arch-Chancellor, in books one and two, there's like this whole passing of power between the Arch-Chancellor because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like backstabbing in the wizarding world. And there's a lot of that in book books one and two, which create for a lot of comedy. And it's done um, very much in that comedic sense, which a lot of what what Pratchett does is and so he arrives immediately kills the Arch-Chancellor whose name of course is absolutely ridiculous his name is Wazy Goose and claims a position for himself as the Arch-Chancellor and he, at the same time during all of this he like bests like you know one of the most powerful wizards in the university and just by happenstance because this is how this character always rolls Rincewind and the luggage make their triumphant return as main characters into the Discworld series, which was pretty fun to see, especially because Rinseworld is kind of your first character who who's developed past just like the joke, like the the ironic nature of him as a character, and into like somebody that you actually feel like you got to know in books one and two. So Rinsewind would returns. The luggage returns. The comedic value of the luggage is still not lost. It continues throughout the entire story. And the librarian, who is an orangutan, if you remember. Um, I don't know if I ever even talked about it, but he plays a minor role in the first three books. He's also included in Equal Rights as well. Any of the books that revolve around the Unseen University, I believe, have him in some way. So Rincewind returns... And it's all basically revolve. His story basically revolves around he just happened to remove the Arch Chancellor's hat, or something along those lines. And 
he basically flees the university in his cowardice because that's just how Rincewood is. And he happens to have, have done it and it was pretty beneficial to the university because he ends up with the Arch-Chancellor's hat. And Coyne and the rest of the university kind of have this mindset that unless the, the hat is there, Coyne is not officially the Arch-Chancellor. And there is, there is kind of jokes made throughout the story that like truly the hat means nothing Coin has established that he will basically come in and kill whoever he wants, and he does. And Rincewind goes on his own journey, which was really cool because we get introduced to another city named Al Kali, which is very awesome because it's almost like kind of like an Egyptian or Middle Eastern kind of desert city. Um, that you could, maybe if you've played the Prince of Persia video games or anything like that, it was really cool to see that involved in this story because I think that that's something often lost in fantasy books where, like, a lot of the times you get these kind of mountainous, um, like, forest forest covered biomes like you don't get a lot of um a lot of desert i guess is you know pretty easy to say i shouldn't shouldn't just beat around the bush there but um i i i say that but obviously there is essos which is the other continent on uh, in um opposite of westeros in the song of ice and fire very desert um like obviously that whole area even if you've only seen the show it's where khaleesi basically goes into slavery and all that stuff happens um on the other side of that world so it's involved in that story but it, it's something that i don't see a lot of like you kind of uh divert to that tolkien world that i picture in my head and i believe in the tolkien world as well Within the Silmarillion, there is there there is an area of Middle Earth that is that has a desert as well, but not in the core four books. So really cool to see an additional city. We also get some additional characters. We get a character named Nigel who comes from Alkali. We get a genie and a lamp, which was really cool. Plays a pretty big um, pretty big part of the story uh, going through the second half of it. And we also get the addition of a woman named Konina, who is the daughter of Cohen the Barbarian, who is a character in the first two books, which was kind of cool to see her come in and also have some comedy revolving around Rincewind's prior relationship with her father, which was uh, pretty awesome. Now, as all of this happens, basically he's fleeing uh, with the Arch-Chancellor's hat and circumstances happen where they have to go back to Ankh-Morpork because they realize that the apocalypse is coming. They call it the Apocalypse, completely spelled wrong, as are many things on purpose in Terry Pratchett's book, kind of as a joke, like to... Um, especially with wizards because a lot of the times that he's trying to poke fun at like their stupidity and use it as uses it in this very simple way of just having things spelled wrong so the apocalypse comes in the four horsemen of the apocalypse come in and play a role which you know i love good omens has the four horsemen i love when terry pratchett puts his hands on those things death continues to play a role again you know i love that as well and Coin is basically just drawing forth and creating so much magic and creating so many things, basically creating a civil war amongst wizards for power, even though he's the most powerful. And this kind of comes to an end throughout the entire story. 
Now, overall, the major theme that I was able to pick from this story, and I think it's pretty upfront and forward that Pratchett's trying to get this across, is the craving and desire for power and to continue to grow your power and push your power and also try to influence others to see why they're powerful as well. And Coin does this through seeking power that he has through his sorcery. And then also trying to show the wizards, like, you're better than all of these mundane, regular people. You're better than every creature on this planet because you can manipulate magic. And it's just like this, this pushing of power, trying to show that you are more powerful than other people. Which is interesting because, like, unfortunately that is something that humans crave and desire, like, in that hierarchy where that hierarchy is all going to revolve around a power system which is unfortunate and but it's it's how we've gotten where we are that doesn't mean a lot depending on how you view where we are sometimes it looks good sometimes it doesn't but you would have to assume that everything that we have now the good and the bad came from some sort of power struggle in a way in one way or the other whether you're looking at positive things like our advancements in medicine and technology or negative things like our inability to socialize with each other our inability to see common ground or see somebody else's opinion that all has to do with power that all has to do with a power struggle between belief systems which you know to put it very you know just not not very well said but it sucks it really sucks i wish that people could put the power aside for a little bit or forever and say that we can come down on these equal terms and I don't need to be better than you. I don't need to be stronger than you. I don't need to be anything more than myself and to love and care for other people on this planet. And I can just hope, I don't pray, so I can just hope that you might do the same. Um, Because if we keep the tug of war that goes on in our world constantly between people that you know so close to you or people on the internet or people in you know higher up in our society who are making decisions for you know those of us below who are affected by it if there wasn't that tug of war if there wasn't that power struggle i feel like we'd be able to at least begin to make the growth that i hope to see in this world one day so really cool that he was able to uh pull that out of me and and push that that craving of power and how that's like it, it's just something I, I truly don't believe some people can control i think that it's the very animalistic part of how humans view survival because exactly in that way survival of the fittest now that has changed so much because we don't have to worry about hunting in a jungle and possibly getting attacked by a panther or anything like that i'm not i'm probably not going to end up any animals dinner ever you know so that that power struggle there that maybe we needed for a long time maybe we don't need as much as we once did so it's kind of interesting to view the world in that way and again these goofy silly books that pratchett wrote are like they they're able to pull these thoughts like I love it. It's such a fascinating way to write. And I'm so intrigued to be able to continue to work my way through it. I'm so honored to be able to talk about them. 
so grateful that somebody, anybody who decides to listen has decided to listen. And I would be even more grateful and uh, incredibly excited if you decided to read them and look for these things too, because it's, it's just the masking of it in the humor and the satire is just so beautifully done. And he's such an incredible writer. And I just feel honored to be able to talk about his work because it's, I mean, he's truly one of my favorites, and I can't wait to keep on moving through the rest of them. But, like I said at the beginning, we're going to take a break. We are going to move on to some Stephen King next. Then we're going to go back to an old favorite of mine. I guess I've only read two of his books, but Matt Haig. I am currently reading one of his books right now that's like a very famous book right now, which is kind of interesting, uh, because I had read his books last year, and I didn't know that he had... I mean, obviously he's successful enough to have quite a few books published, but he definitely seems to be catching some traction, which is always cool to see from a good... Uh, not, he's not necessarily new, but a little bit more modern writer. And then uh, I'm going to be back to some other classic Stephen King stuff, and then we'll work our way back to the, to the next five Discworld books. But as always... Thanks for stopping in. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Bindings. I really appreciate anybody who checks it out. I appreciate anybody who continues to read, continues to talk about these stories amongst your friends, amongst your family, amongst anybody who's willing to talk to you about them because it makes reading so much fun to be able to actually chat about it and not just burn through one and on to the next one. So as always, get a library card, go check out some Discworld books, and I am Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Bindings. <laughs>